Special thanks to our promotional partners at the American Philatelic Society. The APS is the largest stamp collecting organization in the world, supporting collectors of any level worldwide. For more information about membership and APS services, visit stamps.org. Hi, this is Michael Cortese of Noble Spirit in Pittsfield, New Hampshire, and this is Conversations with Philatelists, part two of the uh, Noble Spirit-sponsored Bill Crow event at the Spelman Museum. Please enjoy the recording, and uh, it, it gets a lot more interesting as it goes on because it not only becomes a uh, show and tell, but a conversation with Bill about expertizing. Um, so please enjoy the rest of the event conversation. I look forward to the following year. Hope everybody's having a, uh, a good holiday season. And we look forward to providing you with a lot more kind of in-person videos like these. Uh, where Charles and I will be on the road, but also going back to interviewing people on Zoom as well. So just looking forward to doing more next year. And um, yeah, enjoy the event. Thanks. Mark Jasmine is coming oh, up. A name I've heard before. One of our volunteers. Hi. I've got much easier things for you here. Okay. <laughs> I'm just looking for color. I'm a cover guy, and uh, <laughs> a much abused thing. A much abused person. Yes. Well, I'd start out by saying the first one is oxidized. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. And if we can show it up, is that showing up on no. the screen? Oh, just now a little, little lower. Down. A little lower. There you go. But that's sort of basically what I would call oxidized. Uh -huh. and you can't really tell what the real color is. Mm. Um, and this is the different stage. I, I will tell you, I'm not as good on the perforated uh, three cent. Uh, I have a color study of the um, of the imperfect. I'm used to having. Uh items that I think are valuable being identified as not so valuable. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. But, I mean, some of these have gotten oxidized over the years, but I mean, that's... There you go. I mean, these are, that's, they were all orange-browns once upon a time, hmm. but it, 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 it continues to vary. You know, there's number 11s, And some of these have gotten. I, I I have to actually sit down and do the deoxidation myself because the cards have caused the the sulfur in the cards will call the mm. cause the oxidation. Mm. But I would say, that, unfortunately, like I say, this one. Let me put this away before we confuse everybody. Could you expand a little bit on what you said about sometimes I deoxidize? What is that? Well. You know, the problem is deoxidation is a philatelic term as opposed to a chemist term. Okay. Um, what, what you're actually doing is doing a reduction. Um, you're returning the stamp. You're taking the sulfur out of the, the ink. Um, and the, I guess you've got an extra oxygen radical in there someplace. 
and what you're doing is you're trying to return it to its original color. <coughs> the, the philatelic term is deoxidation. As I say, the, the true chemist term is reduction. Uh, but how, how is it done? I expose it to hydrogen peroxide, okay. which combines in a, in a chemical way to take out the, the I'm going to use philatelic terms, the oxidation, um, which is the darkening of the stamp. And a lot of times if you look at a stamp that I might say is oxidized, it seems to be black. And this is true on um, Carmen Lakes, the, the so-called Carmen Lakes, which are floating around these days. Um, I saw two recently uh, that were submitted to me. One was the, um, well, actually, Charles is aware of one that I, that I looked at. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, I'm sorry to do that, but after I got through with it, it looked like a perfectly normal stamp, whereas when you had it originally out of the, I guess, whoever bought it, bought it out of the Langs estate, and it was very dark in approaching what they call the lake shade, and after exposing it to letting it sit on top of my screen in my office, but, ex but not in the clamshell, um, it eventually returned to its normal shape. I think um, it was bought from Langs when he was still alive. Oh, well, that's too bad because there's many people. <laughs> I, I had another stamp out of the, the Langs estate, um, which uh, the same buyer bought, um, which I looked at and said no, then he. Kelleher finally sent it to the foundation, and they agreed with me. Uh, but it, it is, a, for reds, oranges, it's a common problem. It, it, it's a function of the inks that's, that were used to print the stamps in the first place. Uh, with exposure to the wrong elements, they tend to pick up things and darken. Well, what are some of the things that cause oxidation aside from sulfur? Um, well, it's things in the atmosphere. I mean, I can't give you, I'm not a chemist, thank God. Uh, <laughs> I, have, I have a simple degree in aerospace engineering, which chemistry was not one of my strong points. Uh, yeah, I had enough time, enough trouble with uh, redundant beams, uh, which is a function of mechanical engineering. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was, uh, I was always thought it was air pollution. Pardon me? I was always told it was air pollution. Yeah, air pollution, yeah. It's which, something. which means that it depends on where you live, too. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's exposure to conditions. Um, but, as I say, on some of those three-cent stamps that I own, it, the problem is that the board, that it was, the, the card that it was originally put on by, actually a very good friend of mine, Steve Rosen, had made, up the li made those up originally. And whatever card he used in 1979 or whatever it is, is finally, those, those stamps have been on there since 1979 at least, um, have finally started to fall prey to what's in the paper. And a lot of the paper is not archival. And it's only if you've got archival paper are you going to avoid some of that problem. But then plastics are killers. Um, they'll do a lot of damage to the, to the actual shades of stamps. Uh, something like this, which has got tons of bad stuff in it. Uh, these things will, will eventually turn your stamps. Um, I, I, as I say, I can't... I can't you can take it out of there if you want. No, I, I can't tell you what it was originally. Um, 
Well, I, I just was wondering if it's plum. That's what the, the uh, no, no, because the plum is not is red like that, and plum is really a stamp from plate too early, I believe. You have to go look in the Scott catalog. For the imperforates, it comes from a particular state of the plate. I think it's plate two. Um, I'd have to look it up, but I'm not sure where the plum for perforating would come from. Um, I own a plum, and I would say it's not like this. Okay. I own a plum that's imperforate. I don't own a plum that's perforated. Hmm. Anything else? Well, you got three oh, of them there. I apologize. Can I put this out of the way too? Again, it's the same problem. Um, the color is not natural. Um, it's starting to darken. Um, okay, now, this one is very interesting. Uh, I believe it's a proof. Somebody wrote proof on the back of it. I did not. But I cannot find that rate nor the text on that particular item anywhere. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you... That that now there are match and medicine stamps that were made after you no longer needed the stamps and that was done because people felt happier if they saw the stamp on their product you understand you understand mm -hmm. what I'm saying yeah um, the museum's book collection um, there is an auction catalog that was produced by Andrew Levitt which has the Joyce proofs and essays on match and medicine stamps. Mm -hmm. um, if I was home, I don't have that on my computer. If I was home, that's the kind of thing I would try and look through to see if there was maybe something else um, like this in there. Um, like I said, I have a copy of the catalog at home, but I only have one on the on the computer. It's problem is I'm trying to send it off to scan and it's got fold-out pages, <laughs> which I, I wouldn't trust the scanning people to, to, get, uh, to get all the information. Um, yeah, like I say, it looks like it's on stamp paper. Um, I would have to do a lot of work to figure this out, but I would, where I would start, as I say, would be the Joyce Match and Medicine sale, which is like oriented this way. Uh, it's spiral bound, bound on the side, um, though there is a, a deluxe copy that's hard now. Um, but I would look through there and, and look under this and, and see what is in there in the way of proofs and essays. Okay, thank you. Appreciate your time. Well, you know, if you, t um, what you can do, hold on. You can send me a scan. I mean, I have a copy of the book at home. Okay. So, send me a scan, and I will try and see what I can find Good. when I get home. I appreciate that. You can take a look at my stuff, too. Okay. Maybe you'll find something you like. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I used to collect Waterbury Fancy Cancellations. Oh, you need to see that one double day. Well, I put together <laughs> what I feel was the best collection of banknote time period. Um... Better than uh, Boker, uh, <laughs> because he didn't he didn't have a lot of the banknote time period ones, um, because they really weren't as exciting enough uh, to him or to uh, Mr. Howe. Uh, and I 
worked pretty hard at that. I, I came up with a very good collection of it. Uh, couldn't afford the <clears throat> Bridgeport Firemen and, and all the rest of that stuff because that's out of my, my league. Uh, but I unfortunately don't collect postal history anymore. I've, I've devoted all my money to, to a reference collection since I started expertizing on my own. And I can't use other people's expert co uh, reference collections. But I thank you. I think thank you. Send me a scan, and I will see if I can find something. Okay, great. Appreciate it. One more museum submission sure. here from one of our curators. Is that this is a 64 or a 65 uh, color pink? Well, pink it's not. Okay, the one on the right, the left, the one on the left, mm. that's pink. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then the other one is like one of the many different shades. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between the 64 and the 65? A uh, um, couple hundred dollars. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Doesn't the 65 have a shade that's pinkish? Yes, I now own one. Um, actually, I have it here. 65A, I think? Well, no, the, the pinkish it was... I have one that was identified by Stanley Ashbrook as pinkish rose. Yes. Which looks like that. Uh-huh. Uh, and comes with... This stamp is pinkish rose. SPA. <laughs> um, so which one is it? The envelope? Yeah, the envelope. Um, okay, this the stamp on the envelope was identified once upon a time by Stanley Ashbrook as pinkish rose, and he was asking about the the shade pinkish rose, and that's. Uh, and what is that? Sixty-five. This is a, a variation of sixty-five. <coughs> sixty-five. Okay. There are a couple of articles in the Classic Society. Uh, written by a man named McClung, hmm. um, and he elaborates the number of shades of 65, and I think he got to about 100. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he also has another, what I would call a concomitant article on 64, which has color illustrations of probably 20 different shades of 64. So it, it's a workhorse stamp, it comes in a lot of different shades. I, I look for certain things underneath the UV, which is generally 64, comes with a bluish cast to the paper, um, and a particular color. I, I've had a disagreement with uh, Lou Kaufman as to what constitutes a 64B, and I, I say if it glows orange underneath the UV, I'm not considering it. He says, oh, but I think that's what causes a 64B. So, you know, there's... Neither one, neither Lou or I are, shall we say, three-set experts, but we've handled things over the years, and we have our own opinions as to what they are. But uh, they're just a, unless you are a true collector of all the different shades, uh, it's very difficult. I think like Rich Drew's put together a nice collection of, of the three-set uh, 1861s. And I've been told by Jim Lee that there is a woman in British Columbia who is working on the different shades of the, the three cent sixty one, but I, I I don't have any real information on that. Uh, what I would say on this particular one, based on the time period, number one, it's most likely not a pink. The pinks tend to be August, September, into early October of eighteen sixty one. This is a January cover. Okay. Um, and that would, it, you know, that doesn't say that it's not possible that somebody had a pink that they held on to and didn't use until January. But uh, this is Frederick, Maryland, and I think 
it is unlikely. It's, and I'm not even sure it's a rose pink, though it's conceivable, but the rose pinks tend to be like October, November, possibly into December. But once you start wandering into January, you're just getting into one of the many, and the other killer is its 1863 usage, which would be, there's like, unless somebody has sat on a stamp for two years before they used it, it is <laughs> unlikely that it's going to be either a pink or a rose pink. Okay. It's just one of the many shades of the, the Scott 65. All right. I think, sir, you're next. Okay. I think I'm developing into a buzz killer here. <laughs> <laughs> give you another chance. Very <laughs> And your name, sir? My name is Lou Roten. I, I live in Ridge, New Hampshire. But I tried to identify this and I just wonder if it's a 388. Maybe a call, few are chosen. And no. Um, when you look at the top, there are little tiny divots as you look across the top where the perforations used to be. Is it recurved? No, they've trimmed them. Yeah. Which is common on 388s. A lot of them were 375s. And what they've done is they've trimmed the horizontal perforation. I think it probably may well have a natural straight edge and bottom. But there's a couple, like I say, if you look closely, there's a couple of divots at the top. Why well, I couldn't um, see them. My eyes are not that good. Right? Neither are mine. That's why I use these things. <laughs> <laughs> see, that was quick. Yeah. Uh, I, I, unfortunately, I'm not it's something that I see a lot of. I'm not worried. I just was. I just. And, and I would say a high percentage of used coils from the Washington Franklin time period are trimmed sheet stamps. Very good. Well, that solves the problem. Thank you. Sorry about that. Not, Another buzzkill. Not a problem. <laughs> it was quick. Okay. Anybody? Yes, sir. Come on up. Thanks, John. Bruce Humphrey returning for, to stamp collecting after being away for 60 years. Welcome back. <laughs> You're just a kid. Did you, did you discover girls at the same time? <laughs> I think I discovered golf. Golf, okay. I know that. You said you didn't do postal history anymore. Well, I don't collect postal well, history I have a postal anymore. history item, I think. Okay. I got it at a place that just sold junk, not a stamp okay. dealer. Well, you've got a revenue usage. An illegal, an illegal use, revenue well, usage? Yes and no. Um, but this would, I see now, this would not qualify for postal history. Oh, okay. Postal, I mean, the, the snobs in postal history think of things as having gone through the mail. And this is a document, um, like a manifest, received payment. Um, it's not tied, so I can't say definitively that it originated on here. In other words, mm -hmm. there's no, no part of the cancellation goes from the stamp to the document. Yes, I noticed that. And it's close. But it's it's not, close, but I agree. You could get a stamp off a cover where the ink actually ran onto the cover, but you've removed the stamp and then put it on something else. Mm -hmm. It's been known to happen. I mean, chances are it's probably okay. I mean, I've seen other... Two cent blackjacks used as a, a revenue payment 
on items. Can you show us on the screen here? Yeah, uh, okay. So, you know what? Let's. I'm going to take it out. Take it out, sure. Because we'll reduce the glare. This is what we're looking at. It's showing proof of payment for a receipt of payment. Um, I am not a revenue specialist. I know how to look things up, and I know stamps. I mean, I can't tell you whether this is the proper two-cent rate that should have been paid on this document at this time. Uh, I have a nice book written by Michael Mahler, which it describes every conceivable revenue <laughs> amount. Uh, and without looking at that, I couldn't tell you whether this is a conceivable legitimate usage. I would say that looking at it, I think it's okay. Um, it's coming out mirror image up there. It is? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes, it is. Have I done something wrong? No. 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 That's just <laughs> how it does it. It's the way oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a nice curiosity piece. Um, I, I would say a dealer might try and sell this for like fifty dollars, something like that. Uh, it's not going to send your child through college. Yeah, I paid seventeen. So okay, I mean, so that's commensurate with the value. Yeah. Okay. You know, dealers have been known to charge too much. Wasn't a dealer. Wasn't a dealer. Okay. What an estate or something? Or? Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Many uh, uh, good buys have been made in the states, and terrible buys have been made in the states. Well, I'm sure. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Anybody else? Next victim? <laughs> yeah. I think general questions, comments? Yeah, I have a, a general question for the group. Um, specific to the, um, the right side up jetty sheet uh, that was issued uh, a few years ago with a um, hundred upside down Jenny stamps. Uh, the right, uh, 100 right side up um, to different post offices. Yeah, you're talking the about country. the sheets of, of uh, six stamps. Correct, and <laughs> $12 for a face. Yes. And, and everyone was going around trying to find these. Um, I, including me. <laughs> and I think maybe 40 some out of the 100 available were found. I think it's a little higher now. Yeah. It might be into the 50s, but yeah, mm -hmm. there's still a group out there someplace. The stamps were withdrawn from post office sales, right. but you can still get them from the USPS Philatelic Fulfillment Service. Right. Do they still have the nice ones in that batch, or have they removed them all? Well, you, you could only remove it if you open the envelope. There's absolutely no way the USPS can tell. Well, somebody would have to remove it from the envelope and repackage it in a new envelope, but they, they are sealed envelopes. Okay. Um, and I don't think you can tell, possibly, I mean, I, I've never tried it to hold it up to a strong light to see if I can tell whether it's upside down or not upside down. Um, I have probably bought about 40 or 50 sheets myself, but I'm in the situation where I can use them up as postage. Yeah, I do so. the same thing. Yeah, so, um, it's entirely possible. I mean, I, the last no-jets that there was... Mm. Um, like three years ago, they actually were selling them. They had brought them to the show and were selling them because I, I bought probably 30 or 40 sheets and Gary Posner bought out the rest. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they, they, they do come up from time to time and I, it's entirely possible, you know, you can, you know, it's, it's like the lotto. 
Yeah. You know, you, you pays your money, takes your chances, and if you come up with something, count yourself lucky, and if you didn't, that's life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Did you come with something? Or? I it came with him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you did come with something. I had a question. Sure. On that 39 that you looked at, you said there was a stamp, a European stamp on the back. Well, actually, there was a signature. A signature. Uh, it looked like, in pencil, it looked like AD, which is uh, Alberto Diana. Uh, an old. He's been replaced by Enzo Diana, or was, it, was Enzo first? I can't remember. I guess Enzo was first, and so then it was. Enzo was first, then Alberto, and then Enzo again. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like the grandson. Yeah, yeah, it's the grandson. Um, in, in Europe, they will quite often sign the back of the stamp in pencil. There are other expertizers, which, and Torque, and I have never understood the whole thing, but uh, you get into Germany, and the location of the expertizer's hand stamp will tell you what he thinks of the stamp. Uh, if it's vertical, it means one thing, horizontal something. If it's in the lower left corner as opposed to the lower right corner, it means... A, and it's different depending if it's perforated or not perforated or line, uh, I mean, what do you call it, roulette-ed. It's all different, but it's right. all explained in the Mitchell catalog. Right. So they have pictures yeah, in the Mitchell catalog that yeah. tell you what each location yeah. means. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that's really important to know is on German gum stamps, there's a tremendous premium in Mint Never Hinge. Yes. The expertizers, hands, they, I don't think they do that anymore. I think they stopped putting hand stamps on them now. Because that would be, why would you do that? Right, that's well that's... that you want to see, right? Right. But in the olden days, they did, and that hand stamp has to be smacked absolutely all the way down in the bottom left corner in order for it to be Mint Never Hinge. If it's like a millimeter up, it's hinged. Yeah. So you think you look at it, oh, it's fine. Yeah, it looks Never Hinge. It's fine. No, no, it's not. Um, now, was it uh, Calf will also sign in pencil? Does Bear still sign in pencil, or do they use a hand stamp? No, they, Bear and and Rume, uh, and there's there's several Calfs now. There's a, okay. so the son is involved. Um, use hand stamp. The problem is also that some of these. Hand stamps have gone missing. Mm. Well, Reutsch is a is a, a real problem hand stamp. Which one? Reutsch, R O I G. Yeah. Because that one had gone into the hands of someone, and that exists on a lot of fake stamps uh, or stamps with problems. Uh, so the way I understand, when Cal's passed away, all the friends, there's so many friends, Frank, Sam Peters, it's 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 just amazing to go there. And they all know each other. So all go to the funeral, of course. And his handstand was on top of the casket. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody swiped it. It should have been, <laughs> it should have been in his hand. That's very true. I can believe, I mean, I can believe it, yes. So I have a, a question about uh, the catalog values that we all rely on and the Scots catalogs that come out. So. Uh, because we look at collections virtually every day and stamps every day here, is it indeed Scott's mission and uh, goal to reflect the retail values of 
all 1.9 million stamps that have ever been issued? Well, okay. First of all, the Scott catalog has a minimum value of, was it 25 cents? Mm -hmm. That 25 cents is supposed to represent compensation for the dealer who pulls it out of the stock book and sells it to you. Mm -hmm. It does not mean that that stamp is worth 25 cents. Um, in, in reality, the stamp is worth nothing. If it's 25 cents in the Scott catalog, it's worth nothing. Uh, there's just too many of them out there, and, and it's not. Um, the catalog is meant to be a guide. It is not meant to be a, a hard uh, value. It's something that people look at. Uh, okay, my collection of Germany has a catalog value of a thousand. What is it worth? Well, you, you sort of have to look and see what that how that thousand dollars showed up. If the thousand dollars showed up because there's a thousand stamps, chances are it's worth fifty dollars or seventy-five dollars or something like that. If the thousand dollars came because there's ten stamps worth a hundred dollars a piece, then the value of that collection is considerably higher. You you, you have to look at what's in there. Um, I had a collection. I don't know what my mother did with it. At one time, I had about 18, 20,000 worldwide stamps. What is that collection worth? It might get $1,000 at a Kelleher sale, you know, because a lot of it was CTU, Soviet Union material, packet material. I, mean, I used to, I'd take the money from snow shoveling and go to Woody's and buy packets, you know, <laughs> things like that. And like a lot of us did at that age, you know. So the, the, the value of that, even though if you sat down and cataloged each individual stamp, would be a mind-boggling number, it's just not worth it. Um, as the stamps get more expensive, the catalog starts to mean more, It would be the best way to put it. If you're looking at stamps under $10, it, it, I, I would say that what they're telling you is that they're old prices, which may not have changed. There may be stamps in there which are worth more. Um, there are many people like Michael and Tor who will look at that catalog and say, well, I know from personal experience that this stamp that is cataloging at $12, I can't find for under 200 hmm. And I have guys who will pay 300 for it because it's just not available and that whoever last cataloged this thing just didn't know what he was doing. Uh, sometimes I have to say that the Scott catalog they use a gunshot approach. When they change the prices, they move everything, and it gets, to me, it gets stupid prices. They move everything up by 10%. So that means that the stamp that used to catalog 1300 now has a catalog value of 1430 or even 1450 right? I mean, you've seen the same thing. Yeah. And it, it, pricing is subjective. I, I, when I worked at Stampazine, actually they had, I believe it was John Boker actually did the U.S. prices one year and two stamps in the entire catalog went up. And those are Irving Coslow, who I worked for at the time, who ultimately became one of the pricing editors of the Scott catalog, was furious. And because he had a much better idea of what things sold for, and you know, experience acts for a lot in the, in the catalog. So the, the word gunshot is an important one because that's my impression. Yeah. And. Uh, they don't have the manpower to sit down and sit there and price every stamp individually and figure out what's moving, what's not moving. Uh, they do talk to people from time to time. I mean, it's 
like in the U.S. catalog, I know that prices for the revenues that they 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 talk to Eric Jackson, Confederates, they'll talk to Trish Kaufman, uh, and other things. I, I don't know who they talk to. I mean, I, but they have some people. It's uh, I, I presume the postal counterfeit, which is something that I also collect. Um, to a certain extent, I would imagine they get feedback from John Hotchner, who has probably the best collection of postal counterfeits these days. Um, but I don't know who does a lot of the other sections. And to a certain extent, I mean, who do you go to for rectified spirit stamps? I mean, it's, I, I guess you could ask Eric whether something has, something has happened to change the value, but those things sort of stay the same all the for long times. Well, in their letters, again, on each catalog, they try to be somewhat uh, forthright, mm -hmm. and they'll uh, they'll divulge that well on Bolivia we have uh, more de more decreases than we do increases, mm -hmm. or vice versa, more increases than decreases. And and uh, that probably reflects popularity, not price. Right. I mean, a decrease in the prices in something like Bolivia would probably reflect popularity as opposed because the. The quantity probably is less now than there was before, but there's just less active collectors uh, of that. I mean, you'll, you'll see things in the auction market, you'll see things go crazy because there's three or four guys collecting an area, and all four guys sell their collections, and then you will see the prices are considerably lower because nobody's buying. Uh, it, popularity, as much as anything, makes, uh, makes a difference. Right, right. Well, you can see that also in U.S. postal history. Yeah. Which, is if Gordon's out, I mean, and Gordon's out, and uh, Gross is out, well, the, the two biggest players are out. So now what happens? You know. So. Well, they're either two new players, or it's a vacuum. And if it says a vacuum, there's nobody to pick it up. Right. Because the dealers these days don't stock. I mean. That stopped at the end of, in the end of the eighties when they yeah. discovered they were. Well, when, when the wheels when the wheels gave up. Uh, Actually, it, it, when, when Klein's collections were sold, right. it started happening because the first, period, the first few sales, there was support for the postal history and they would buy the common rates to Europe and so on. Then they couldn't resell it and mm -hmm. then as the sales progressed, the, the prices just went down. Yeah, well, I, I, I was friends with Dwayne Garrett, who was a collection of 5 and 10 cent 47s. And he went to Wheel's office one time, and eventually when they when he finally became, shall we say, a vested buyer, because with the wheels you, you had to buy something you didn't really want to prove to him that you were a buyer, and then once he got to be an accepted buyer, when he went there they came out with like 400 five cent covers, you know, for him to go look at. I mean, there's nobody, Pillar probably was the last person who had any kind of large accumulation of classic U.S., but there, there's nobody out there now that, that does that. It, it sort of catches catch can. Now, in monitoring things through the years, I had the impression from the late 80s that we were on a decline, but it appears to me from right before the pandemic uh, that prices and yields have begun to go up. So I don't know whether that's your, your impression and whether the values have gone well, up. Well, you know, I have to say I'm sort of divorced from value. Um, I, I don't buy and I don't sell by design. I mean, I, I buy from my reference collection. But when I buy from my reference collection, I do not buy the highest quality because my money will go so far and I'm more interested in the stamp and what it can do for me than I am in, in 
coming up with with a Wonder Bar stamp. Yeah. Um, it, I think a lot of people started buying, especially on the internet during the pandemic. Uh, I'm not sure how things are going now. I mean, I my business went up during the pandemic because people were selling on eBay and they wanted protection because it, I, I consider the eBay the wild, wild west. I mean, to, I mean you, you guys know what I'm talking about. I mean, they're, they're just <laughs> stuff there. I, I shake my head. I mean, one time I, I, I looked and a, a dealer from Michigan who I'd never heard of had four copies of Scott 62B, which is the 10 cent premium gravure stamp, catalog 1600, as opposed to the normal 10 cent 1861 in dark green, which catalogs about $60. And they looked at his scans, none of them were 62Bs. Um, and, and it's, even when it, the perforations come in on the top, there is a way to tell whether it's a 62B based on a, the lack of a recutting line on, on, above a pen. So I contacted the guy and I said, look, these, these stamps are not 62Bs, they're just ordinary 62s. Well, of course, or 68s. Of course, he never changed, I mean, which is his prerogative, but some poor sap someplace is likely to have bought one of these things never sent them to EPS even, or Foundation, or PSE. Forget me, I mean, yeah. but I'm just saying never sent them off to have somebody look at it and wasted three or four hundred hours. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I consider eBay the wild, wild west. Yeah. It's also like when a deal is too good to be true. It is. Usually the case. Well, I, I, I had a client who kept my used blue papers. Um, and I kept saying, why do you think you can buy this stamp off of eBay for $300 that catalogs 10,000 used? I said, think about it. Because he kept sending them to me to go look at it, and I kept rejecting them. And, I, and finally I said to him, I said, look, you can't buy these things at this price if they're legitimate. Nobody will let it happen. Um, it, it, people, you know what, the guys are, are always looking for deals. And the guys, you know, um, I knew a dealer named Mike Karen once upon a time, and he said they want bargains. I'll give them bargains, you know. <laughs> so you have to learn your stamps. Don't rely on me. It's important you learn for yourself. Um, I, I did come up with that list, but it's if anybody wants to email me, I will send them a copy of the list of what I consider to be useful websites, places that you can go to try and get information. I mean, like the Washington Franklin area, you can find information on the uh, usstamps.org catalog, which is the uh, uh, U.S. Stamp Society. Um, they have all their back issues pretty much available for you to, to come up with, and their search mechanism on the is not the greatest, but sometimes you can find what you're looking for. You want to find out I mean, I know there's an article on the number of known used 505s on cover. And there is a census in there for written by, I think it might even be Ken Lowther. Um, you go to the Classic Society, their stuff is all available with the exception of the last year or two. Um, and they have several, they have electronic books that you can download. If you don't own a set of Brookmans, you can download a PDF set of Brookmans from there. You can download a one cent Nikon from there. Um, 
So there's useful information out there for free, or you can come here and borrow a book and right. take a look at it. But I mean, I, I had made up a list of what I called useful websites. Not that we're not all of them that I could think of. I tried to keep it to one sheet of paper and a list of useful books. If someone wants to send me an email and ask for the list, I'll I'll send them a PDF. You know, with the list I put together. And I could add that uh, we have a lending library with all of the journals and books. And uh, if you are a member, I hope everyone in the room is a member. Uh, if you're a senior citizen, there aren't many benefits from getting older, but it's the least expensive member rate of $25. Then you can take your uh, your your lending book, the book to... Now, do you have a limit? Off site, off okay, site. do you have a limit on the number of copies of a book that you'll keep? No. Okay. Oh, and the number of books that we keep, yes. Yeah, yeah so, uh, but we, uh, we're trying to generate much more of the uh, subscriber borrowing process. Mm -hmm. So to, we don't get many requests. Uh, we'd love to have these requests that we would do. Do you use. have it on your website? We could, um, I don't know whether we have it on, we don't, I don't have think you do. Put it on our website. Yeah, I don't think you do, actually. I haven't yeah. looked at the website. Um, yeah, and how do we, what email do we <coughs> use to get in touch with you or phone number, however you want us to, to communicate with you, not us and not right. well, I have a very simple email address. It's wtcrow at aol.com. <laughs> wtcrow, C-R-O-W-E. Correct. At aol.com. Um, people laugh at AOL, but I've had the ad email address since like 1993, and I'm sort of loath to get rid of it. Um, yeah, it, I, mean, I have a business card if anybody wants one. I, I did not bring them with the idea of getting business, but you know, if you, you it has the information there on how to get in touch with me if if you would like. The other intriguing comment that I'll add is that. Uh, Oh, we always get the question, I'm sure Charles and you do too, Michael, as to well, young, young people coming along, and we have quite an extraordinary young person's program here, mm -hmm. where the individual's coming in between 5 and 12. I was going to ask you, what means young? Yes, <laughs> 5 to 12, and uh, you get, we subscribe, or we have a correspondence where you get a letter in the mail if you're a member, free of mm -hmm. charge for the first year. Uh, a group of stamps every month, mm -hmm. and uh, so we're we're encouraged by all that, uh, and educational as well. So, mm -hmm. any other questions, comments? I have one more question. Sure. On, uh, grading of and certificates. Okay. Um, I s usually think of graded stamps as known as clean, or there's no issues. But I have seen recently something that had like a corner crease, I think it was, and it was graded 85. I assume it was like 100. Yeah, that it should be, okay, now, if it's a PSE certificate. It was a PSE. Okay, they do have a listing of what individual flaws might be. Um, they have a chart yep. that they use, and if you have something which is determined to be a very minor flaw, it will deduct five points from the final grade. In other words, if they sit down and look at the stamp and say, this stamp has got a uh, 100, 100 centering, yeah. which theoretically but not exactly means it's mathematically perfect, but it's based on their formula. It, it's not, can, it can be less than mathematically perfect. Um, 
a very minor flaw or an ex extremely minor flaw would not be mentioned on the certificate. A very minor flaw would be a deduction and mentioned on the certificate. And a tiny corner crease might qualify for an extremely minor flaw, in which case it would not be deducted from the final grade. But a corner crease, which would qualify for a very minor flaw, would take a 100 to 90 because it's the way their system. But that chart tells you how much each grade of flaw would deduct from the centering that was found. Does that make sense to you? It, it does, but I guess I have a hard time thinking of a clean certificate with a flaw mentioned and then a grade. So I just feel like it's a disconnect between yeah. a clean stamp. And now the foundation, I believe, only does grades on stamps without any flaw. Yeah, because I only saw, this was the first time I saw that. So now, PSE actually started out that they would grade down to 10. When, when they first started grading, you know, it was a grade of 10, which could be a, uh, okay, if you had a mathematically perfect 100, but you had a straight edge in one side, that was a 50-point deduction, and you would get a stamp with a grade of 50. Okay. They stopped that and pretty much, I don't believe they do anything below 50, and most of the people really don't want anything graded below 80, which is uh, very fine. Uh, I have, if one of the websites that I have listed on that sheet of paper is the PSC website where you can go to a particular Scott number and see what they have issued for that Scott number and you can look and see the various grades. In other words, if something is a grade 85 on a, on a 5 cent 47, you'll be able to see the picture of it. Um, they have it there, um, which I, I find that is a useful website. Mm -hmm. I, I um, follow Stamp Community Forum mm -hmm. and one of the guys involved in that uh, I guess run Stamp Smarter. Don Denman. Yeah, and he's worked out something with PSE where he periodically upgrades their website. You have to go through Stamp Smarter to get to this particular website, but it's very useful from a grading point of view of anything um, really below the banknote time period where you, you're looking at uneven margins. In other words, uh, sort of like a Scott 63 or even a Blackjack. Yep. Um, has tight margins, and because the design is, you know, uneven on all sides, it's more difficult to look at in gray, whereas if you go to a banknote stamp that's got straight, 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 it, it's easier to figure out the margins and figure out which, you know, what the grade should be. Yep. And, and, and in reality, they, they have a formula on Excel, which you can input the numbers as far as the distance from the bottom of the perf hole to the design in eight different locations and it will give you a rough idea of what the grade should be for that. And How would you ever measure that kind of minorness? <laughs> 15 power with a scale. Okay. Um, that's what I have used in the past. This is a uh, peak loop which is a Higher, higher quality commercial loop. I mean, I think I paid about probably 15 years ago, I may have paid $75 for this thing. Okay. Um, but it's a high quality optics and it has a, a scale. 
at, on the bottom that you can use to uh, figure out the, the spacing. People ask about computers. The problem with trying to use a computer to grade is that when you scan something, the pixels are not always hmm. dead even, and they sometimes sort of tail off slightly. So it, especially bad on yellow. Uh, when you try and figure out the distance from the purple to the beginning of the design on yellow, it's practically impossible to do it on a computer because it just tails off too much. Uh, the same as with the first series bank, uh, postage dues. Those are bad as far as at the top because it's, it's this slight color gradations and it's not a clear, sharp stop. But yeah, they, they use, and I, and I have a, I own a copy of, the, of an early version of the Excel file um, because I work for them. Okay. And for about Oh, about eight years after I stopped working for them, I used to do, con I, 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 whenever they got overloaded, they would send me things to look at. Gotcha. So, uh, my version is an old version, but it, it gives you a rough approximation. I mean, I, I did something a year ago for, for the guys, I gave them a 98, and one of the guys from PSC called me up on something else, and he said, well, we think this is 100. I said, that's fine. I, I, I personally would rather be conservative I mean, my feeling is PSAG grades high. PSE is the originator of grading, so you have to say that's okay. And the foundation, you know, in the beginning they were low because they had their own personal feelings as to how things should grade. And they had, well, like Brian Blackman, who great guy, known him for a long time, but he's old school Siegel. I mean... <laughs> Uh, and his idea of what constitutes a, a very fine or extremely fine might be different from what PSC or uh, PSAG would do. And, and partly because, as Bill Lytle said to me one time, uh, our very fine really isn't that nice, <laughs> you know, as far as a grade of 80. Um, and, and I agree with him. As a commercial dealer, the, the things that they would grade as 80, I would never try to sell as a very fine. But... That was their system, and that, that's how they work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I find that that that's one PSE website very useful in the sense of it see you shows you what they have graded and how they've gotten there. Yeah. Um, Thank you. That was great. Yes, Charles. I have a question, Bill. Uh, what is your opinion uh, with regards to people providing you with supplementary information when they submit an item? I love it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the reason I ask. Submitted an item to the PF recently, um, and we were submitting, I think, 70 things, so I just filled out the forms as briefly and quickly as possible. Uh, cover came back. I had a suspicious feeling about it, so I did about 20 minutes worth of research and mm -hmm. found a couple of articles from the 60s that proved it was one of the noisy carrier oh, okay. stamps out of San Francisco. Um, there was an article from when the forgery started appearing on the market, and then I found a Fox forgery in the PF zone. Right. Archives. Yeah. I own, I own four of them. <laughs> the forgeries, unfortunately. So I, I wrote the PF. I won't name names. I'll mention it to you later. Uh, and I said, here's these articles I found. Here's your own Fox forgery. Can you explain your rationale uh, behind your decision to, to call this thing genuine? 
Mm -hmm. And I received a uh, quite a nasty email in response. I can guess from who, too. I bet you can. Um, <laughs> I've had similar problems. Sta stating that um, I need to stop playing games with the expertising committee. And I should, if I know information such as this, I should submit it <clears throat> at the uh, time they receive the stamps as another auction firm so often does. Mm -hmm. um, and I said that it is my opinion that I'm paying you for a service, it's your responsibility mm -hmm. to do your homework and not have me lead the witness. And okay. uh, I know some of my colleagues in Europe who are BPP experts will refuse to look at any information. They want to look at the item well, yeah, I, in, I mean, in a vacuum first. Well, I, you know what? I try to do the same thing. I try to look at it, come up with my decision as to what I see, and then look at other information to see do we dovetail. If we don't dovetail, why do we not dovetail? What are you seeing that I'm not seeing, and what am I seeing that you're not seeing? I mean, I, I, I have a problem. I have a, an item that my client uh, bought out of Kelleher. He sent it to me. I looked at it. It's a, a strip of tin of a stamp that has a blank panel at the top. And at the very bottom, there's a piece of selvage about like that, which has a printed design on it. The blank panel at the top <coughs> is not tagged. The rest of the other nine stamps and the piece down at the bottom are tagged. I contacted Jade Bagalki, and I said, this is what I've got. How does Scott look at this? Is this a legitimate color missing <coughs> error on the top stamp? Because that's what it's being sold to my client as. And he said, no, it does not meet Scott's standards. I issued a certificate spelling out all of that, that it is not, it's a, not considered to be an error. I consulted with Jay, I put in the certificate, I consulted with Jay Begolke, and this is what he had to say. I mean, I, as you said before, you like my certificates as more of a European classic because it's not, it's genuine and don't ask me any questions. Absolutely. Uh, it's genuine and this is what I see. Uh, so it went back to Kelleher. They waited a year. They sent it off to the aforenamed organization. Gave it a certificate as a genuine color missing error. Now Kelleher wants the client to buy it. And he's, he understands, he's well aware of my original certificate. My, so I contacted the said organization. And I said, did you consult, consult with Scott? publishing it all on this stamp? And he says, well, it's not my position, it's not my job to, to get in touch with these people and, and it, to tell them about new errors. And I said, no, that's not my question. My question is, of course, they never saw my certificate because Kelleher didn't send them that certificate. So they, they went ahead and did it blind. But I will do that on almost any error to make sure that what I'm looking at is what I'm looking at. I mean, I, now probably because I'm an old guy I remember Jock Schiff, I've done things with John Hotchner, maybe I'm a little more attuned as to what constitutes an error and what doesn't constitute an error, and I think some of the people currently at that organization have no experience the way I do. But, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do, and I haven't heard back from uh, said individual, because I said, well, will the foundation revisit this item? And I I never, I never heard back from said individual, but I heard from three board members. Okay. 
Well, at one point I was going to start contacting board members because I had sent an email which had been ignored for three weeks and I thought it was, you know, I'm going to be nice, I'm not going to do anything, but I mean, I mean, I know board members too. Uh, but when you get an item, you look at it uh, with, uh, with an open mind, without any sort of, uh, you know, again, in an idealized scenario, without any sort of extraneous information. Right. You take a look at it, examine it on its own terms, with your own knowledge, right. and then turn to secondary sources right. to... Well, I mean, I, I think an item has to stand on its own merits. Because um, that used to be the problem way back when that... Um, a, like Mike Heron might send something. Now, Mike was well known for being um, a nefarious individual. But Mike could also have genuine items. And just because Mike sent them in doesn't mean it's bad. It has to, I, I feel, it has to stand on its own merits. And you look at it and decide what you think. Um, and when I first started working for PSC, they also talked about what the, the uh, head guy, uh, Coles, would talk about what he would call the Chinese wall. He didn't really want you to know who the submitter was because he wanted you to look at it on its own merits. Now, unfortunately, in my system, I can't avoid that because I know I'm a one-man operation. I mean, I know who said it, and I, I work on it, and uh, I, I will know who, who said it. Uh, but I, I try, I really do try and look at things on their own merits. Uh, if somebody sent extra stuff, I wouldn't, I, I would investigate. I would not say, well, this guy says it's this, because people get things wrong. Um, you know, it's, I don't, I don't know if that answer your question. It does. No, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just feel like there's sometimes, um, you know, when there is no, uh, when you can see who submitted it, you know, obviously I've got a financial interest in what I'm submitting, mm -hmm. and I feel a bit of a moral quandary if I try to, again, lead the witness a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, again, that's why I, 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 you know, in a hypothetical ideal world, the expert should act in a vacuum and not, uh, you know, allow me to twist their arm to get the opinion that I want. And well, more often I, than I, not, when I have them overturn an opinion, it's unfortunately a good certificate being made bad rather than the other way around. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would say that I would look at your information and see whether I can refute it. Um, and that, that's basically all you really can do. Okay, did you say something, Joe? I think context is very important. You know, mm -hmm. if we get a stamp or a coin, you know, I'm consistently uh, supplying invoices or previous purchases, ex I mean, Stacks, yeah, you know, if, if I got something from a particular... Well, yeah, whether they want it or not, I'm going to give it to them. Right, I mean, well, I mean... I want them to know where... There are, there are particular dealers which if I got something from, I would probably look at harder... Of course. ...than <laughs> someone else. Okay. Yeah, of course. Uh, because they are known for things. But that doesn't mean they can't have a good item. Yeah. Sir, did you have that something to be taken a look at? Yeah. Okay. We can do that. And your name, please? Jeffrey Hart. Nice, Jeffrey. Well, you know, just, oh, you know. What do we got? Well, this is Bill. This is Jeffrey. <laughs> Jeffrey, Bill. Hi, Bill. Well, Question. I'm going to start out. I can't help you on the top one. Because it, it, they didn't really put out it was U.S. only until later. Um, this is a German stamp. No. With a cancellation. So good luck on that one. 
That's the Inflation question. period, time period with the cancellation. Can you show us on the screen here? Uh, that's the question of whether it was really canceled or not. Well, that's, that's, that's the, the problem. That's the, <laughs> it's very, very <laughs> No way to tell. No, you want it to be obliterated. Yes. There, but that, the, the, I mean, I know enough about German in that time period that the, there is absolutely no way to tell and there will be no desirability of the stamp, really, it, because it's, it's neither fish nor fowl. It could be legitimately used. But there's no way to prove it. Mm -hmm. okay. Sorry about that. I didn't expect much on that one. You have a nice 100. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's a genuine girl. Can you show us on the wood? Sure. I'll put this back in here. Well, actually, see, I don't know if the grill, how well the grill will show up. It's actually a well, reasonably well struck grill, but it probably isn't going to show up too well. We'll try. One hundred. It's the thirty cent uh, F grill, and it probably isn't going to show up as anything. Yeah. 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 But it's uh, it is genuine. And it's reasonably well struck. Though the 30 cent generally comes reasonably well struck. Um, there aren't too, too many examples that are poorly struck on that one. Um, but it, it is what you think it is. Yeah. Is that good news? Well, that's... <laughs> yes, no, I can't look at like $950. It is, uh, shall we say, um, talking about grading, it's about a 50 cent ring. Which means it's probably, if it's sound. Yes, it's sound. Yeah. See, so the perf's cut in on one side. I think the perforations on the other side are okay. Um, you know, it might be worth a couple hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. as, a, as a stamp, which is, let me try this. I mean, as, a, as a stamp, which is centered off to one side, you, you know, 150 to 200 on eBay, maybe. Mm. You know. Yeah. Goodness, one I paid for. Good. <laughs> and you got half a, you got two thirds of a set here. No, I have the other one hidden away. Well, but it's not on here. It'd be worth <laughs> no, a lot more if it was on here yeah. <laughs> than having it separately. I mean, it is legitimate. I mean, it's got the proper May 7th, the 1930 Varick Street postmarks. South American flight caches. I mean, it's it's a legit. I mean, it's a legitimate item. Now, I'm not into cataloging or valuing these things. Let me put it up here. Um, but it's it's a genuine Zeppelin cover mm -hmm. with uh, two thirds of the set. Actually, the, the most expensive portion of the set. Um, it's not a first day cover, though. First no, 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 no. <laughs> first day is like April first or, or April nineteenth. Nineteenth, yeah. yeah. April nineteenth, yeah. yeah. Was May seventh was the the postmark on that? Um, no, the stamps catalog probably what the seven hundred, the two, the the uh, yeah. one thirty and the two sixty five, two sixty together, something like seven hundred. Yeah, but I always find a camera value of those meaningless because they have their own market. Okay. Yeah. Right, but I'm just saying there is some value yeah. to the stamps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well. 
Ladies and gentlemen, have a round of applause yeah. for our Thank you for joining us for that, that event. It was an honor to put it on with Bill and at the Spelman Museum. Thank you to Bill. Thank you to Joe Mullen, Heidi Price, um, all the members of the Spelman Board. We look forward to really many more of these kind of events. I know we're planning another one for May um, where it's going to be more of a presentation. But um, just, yeah, thank you for, for joining us. Hope it was informative. Uh, let us know what you'd like to see more of. Um, but I see a lot more of this kind of stuff um, from us with uh, with more in-depth um, examination in the future. So um, thank you and have a great 2023.